The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this is a special edition of the Numinous Podcast. This is Quest QA, your top 10 questions, fears, and concerns addressed by those who have just returned from the wilderness. Everything you ever wanted to know and more about wilderness quests. Uh, This is a conversation I hosted online with four participants in my recent wilderness quest, and they generously agreed to answer questions that were submitted uh, online to me about questing. But before we launch into that conversation, I want to acknowledge that there are a lot of different types of wilderness quests on offer out there on the interwebs. And so when you hear the term wilderness quest, it's liable to bring up quite a spectrum of uh, different experiences. You know, some people, pardon me, think of like more like a survival weekend uh, that is meant to precipitate some kind of spiritual opening. Like, you know, you you go to a place in the wilderness and some guy tells you to step into a 20-foot circle in the woods uh, with no tarp, no tent, no nothing, and just stay in that circle for four days. Don't eat. (laughs) Just, you know, think about what you've done, basically. Um, That is not what I'm doing. Um, Some people kind of think of Wilderness Quest as like, oh, you know, I've done a 10-day Vipassana retreat. It's kind of like that. It's just that it's outside and with no food and shorter. No, it's not really like that either. Not at all, actually. So, uh, So before we get into the frequently asked questions, I'd like to take a couple of minutes here to provide an overview of precisely what is happening during this quest that I lead. Why is it 12 days long, for instance? Well, actually, um, the quest really starts the moment you say yes to it in your heart. And then even before you arrive uh, in uh, the southern caribou, sort of edge of the Chilcotin there in, in central BC with me, two months prior to that, we have an online call with the group and we talk about physical logistics. So basically your gear and getting there. And I can give you feedback and, you know, resources, etc. Then one month prior to the quest, we have another online call and we talk about spiritual logistics. So specific ways to help you get the most out of your quest. How can you prepare spiritually? Then you arrive at the Circle H Lodge in Jesmond, BC, rural BC, and um, you'll arrive the night before. We'll have a nice meal all together. In the morning the next day, um, we host a local First Nations elder from the Shuswap Nation, and he comes and does a territorial acknowledgement, tells us about the history of the land, the ancestry there, um, his history, and and it's an opportunity to uh, receive guidance and advice Uh, for your solo time. And then we have our introductions that day, what brings you here, and then we'll talk a little bit about myths as collective dreams and dreams as personal myth. And at the end of the day, uh, I will start to lead you and sort of um, give you an introduction to trance work. Um, So how you can do shamanic journeying, we actually will do some journey work together. And that's really useful for people who've never actually done anything like that before, kind of been had a bit of training and how to take themselves into altered states of consciousness naturally. 
on day two, we start to talk about kind of a, a theory of human development developed by Stephen Foster and Meredith Little, who are founders of the School of Lost Borders. If you've been looking to uh, find out more about quest work, you've probably stumbled across their work on the internet. And they use the four shields or the four seasons as sort of a cosmology. We talk about, um, yeah, the, the different seasons of human development and spend a day diving into that in more detail, how we can get attuned to the rhythm of where we are in our lives. So we really locate ourselves. And at the end of the day, the ritual we do together is rock divination. So we're learning how to open to the other, you know, open up a dialogue with other natural beings and again, practice our trance work and journey work. Day three, we're focusing on ritual and ceremony. Because there's rituals that everyone will do as you go out on your quest, like crossing the threshold, fasting is a ritual, and the stone pile ritual, which is, the stone pile is a, you know, in a practical sense, it's a communication system that lets you know that your buddy or the quester closest to you is safe and doing well. But there's a lot of ritual that can go around that because you have to do it every day and some people include artwork or gifting or mantra, etc., but then we'll also talk about optional rituals that are specific work for the season of life that you're in, that address areas where you might feel stuck. And so we'll talk about rituals so that you can learn to discern which rituals for which times and purposes in your life, things you might do out on your solo time. We'll also address physical plane concerns and training that day. So if you want, we can look over your gear, we can loan you things if you need. But you'll also get training in knot tying and putting up your tarp, um, fire safety and starting if there's not a fire ban when you're questing, um, animal and predator safety, um, we'll teach you how to use your bear spray, <laughs> that sort of thing, um, first aid and emergency procedures for the area, um, and orienting yourself in the landscape. And then the ritual that we'll all practice together will be about calling in our guides and allies and ancestors and um, a prayer for safe passage really uh, for for your questing time then day four the pack horses collect us in our gear and we ride up to base camp and everyone will go out and find their solo spot you'll determine who your stone pile buddy is that night we'll all uh, be in base camp together um, having a, a fireside meal and we'll do a fire ceremony together that night. The next day, day five, there's a sunrise blessing ceremony. You'll leave and go to your solo spot and you won't return for another hundred hours. You'll come back on day nine. Day nine, the horses will pick us up in all our gear and when we get back down to the lodge, you'll have an opportunity to rest and that night we'll do feasting. On day 10, that's when we're going to start witnessing stories. So two things are happening there. You're going to practice sharing your story, revealing your gifts and your medicine to, to your people, but we'll also be learning how to be a good witness because it's, it's a skill and it takes practice. Day 11, we'll be mirroring. So demonstrating that we hurt each other, demonstrating that we can be a big a good witness. And we'll also be talking about the return, how you can bring something of what you found in the spiritual world and bring it back to the mundane world with you and share your gifts with your people. And then finally, on day 12, we have a closing ceremony where we, we praise and we give thanks and we 
send our prayers and wishes with our fellow questers back home. So that's the rundown. That's why it takes so long. There's quite a lot of preparation and skill development that happens before and after the actual four-day solo quest. And again, when you go out to your solo spot, in the way we do it is you will have a tarp and a sleeping bag and water and, you know, your 10 essentials, first aid gear, all that kind of stuff. But um, it, you won't have a tent. You won't be sort of cutting yourself off from the world. The, the goal is to go as nakedly as possible into the wilderness. But this is not a survival situation. That is not what we're looking for at all. And uh, I've chosen the location specifically because it's well landmarked. It's very safe. There are no grizzlies, uh, even though there are you know, other predators, um, there's nothing unpredictable there and uh, lots of ways to orient yourself and keep yourself safe on the mountain. So I hope that clarifies uh, all of the details and the other questions you might have about what exactly are people doing out there? Why is it 12 days long? Uh, but now, without further ado, let's hear from the folks who've just returned. This is the conversation, Quest Q&A, your top 10 frequently asked questions answered. Okay, so I'm here with the four stout souls who came with me on my first wilderness quest. I'm here with Jen, Carl Greger, Patricia, and Ryan. And they have generally, uh, generously offered to answer questions, the most frequently asked questions about wilderness quests. So I have compiled the top 10. And uh, before we launch into those more logistical ones, I want to ask something that might be just kind of in the background of people's minds. How did you know that a quest was a good next step for you on your spiritual path? So I'd like to start with you, Carl Greger. How did you know that it was the time to take a quest? I had read a book previously by Beerhart, The Wind is My Mother. Hmm. And it was the most fascinating book I think I've ever read up until date. And the previous Christmas, I gave it to everybody. Not everybody appreciated the gift, but I really liked the book. And it, it explains the vision quest quite detailed. Mm -hmm. And I also did feel with myself that I was stuck in my spiritual practice in the way that I didn't really go out with it and uh, explain it to people. I kept it for myself. So for me, it was a situation where I was really stuck in my daily practices. Mm -hmm. So when this came up, I knew instantly that this is what I want to do. I had all kinds of fears, but I knew that this was the right step to do. So that's why I signed in. Hmm. Well, and you were the first person to sign up for Quest. And actually, Jen, you were the last person. You came on quite spontaneously. Somebody else wasn't able to come. And I invited you at the last minute. Um, I remember it took about half an hour for me to get an email response. <laughs> How did you know a quest was a good next step for you? Well, because I was feeling pretty lost uh, and it felt like a pretty um, appropriate response to the amount of loss I was feeling at the time, I think. So yeah, I, you know, I, I knew because I felt like excited and agitated. Uh, in the way that's like makes you feel sweaty and you're not quite sure if it's like good or bad but it's something you know a friend said to me um 
if you don't go, you're going to regret it for a really long time. Mm. So that was, that was a very true statement. Um, and that, that helped to tip me, I think. Mm. But yeah, it was, uh, it was pure confusion. <laughs> pure <laughs> and then confusion. just beautiful, it's like beautiful and generous, uh, offer from, yeah, from yourself. And, uh, how, how does one say no? <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, we're leaving in a week. Want to come? Yeah, it was, that was pretty great. Thank you. Four, for, days. four days, four days. I four love days. somebody who just says yes to spirit. I'm glad you did. Thanks, Jen. Um, Ryan is someone else that I had to quite specifically invite. So I'm curious, Ryan, how did you know if it was the right thing for you? Um, after that, you invited me uh to consider the idea i um i thought about it a few times over over a period of about a few weeks and each time i did so i visualized the what i believe to be what the um opportunity entailed and each time um there is a an inspirational heart opening feeling that where i couldn't deny that it was just going to be a great thing to do because mm. I've done great things before and they, and that's what they feel like. Mm. Mm. Awesome. That's very cool. I like that you brought up that it's like kind of a somatic kind of thing. Patricia, what was it like for you? How did you know if it was the right next step? Well, when I heard about it, when I read about it, it, it was just a yes from the beginning. Um, I didn't really give it a second thought at that time. And also, I mean, thinking back, I've been kind of at a loss <clears throat> in my life for about a year. So I knew it was something that I needed to do, nature called, and I felt it was um, something that I could go, somewhere I could go and think mm. and be in touch with nature and listen to spirit, listen mm. to the guidance. Mm. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. I, I can really relate to that, that the silence is really compelling, <laughs> just silencing the world. Okay, thank you, everyone, for just sort of setting the context there. Okay, so I threw it out there on social media asking people what would be their fears and questions about embarking on a wilderness quest, and I have to say, far and away the number one fear and concern was around fasting and being hungry. And I think a few people really stated it really succinctly. John said, being hungry could get in the way of my spiritual focus. Amy said, I get hangry when I don't eat. And Brooke said, fasting for that long and thus having an emotional and mental breakdown, which happens when I don't eat lunch. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with Patricia and then I'm going to ask Ryan um, because uh, well, for you, Patricia, I think that was probably a, a concern that you also shared. How did you deal with the fasting part? Honestly, the fasting didn't bother me at all. That was the least, thinking back on the quest, that was the least of my concern. I did not feel hungry until day three. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you said, uh, when <clears throat> you're not surrounded by food, you're not reminded by food, you don't actually feel effects of fasting and I find that to be really true mm. and I what I did was I would have a, an electrolyte tablet in my water 
mm-hmm. every morning. And and like you say, when I was, if I felt hungry, I would drink water and that helped to sedate it. For me anyways, being in the mountains, being in that environment, I was so caught up in it that hunger wasn't really on my mind until day three. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would concur that uh, using electrolytes is a really great way to trick your body into thinking like, oh, I've just had some diversity of flavor. <laughs> and so it's almost like distraction or diversity, I think you're looking for. Now for Ryan, Ryan, you're a person who really takes care of your body. You um, eat really lean and carefully and, um, you know, optimizing health is really important to you. So you've probably cleansed and fasted before. I'm curious what it was like for you since you were doing quite a lot of physical labor with trekking and getting firewood and all of that. How did you handle the fasting? Hmm. Well, I think the, I think uh, going without food is an extreme measure. Um, it definitely, uh, I did definitely notice that. Uh, um, that I wasn't eating, and that um, there was a, I was there was a compounding effect from not eating, and um, I just uh, felt that I was that it was contributing to where we were all heading in um, as far as being on a quest was concerned. I couldn't imagine uh, being on a quest and eating. Mm. Um, it just seemed like uh, it was uh, the right thing to be doing at the right at, at that time. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Um, Carl Greger, did you have any troubles with uh, going without food? No, I, I think the uh, the first two days you are so caught up in what you are going to do. So it, mm-hmm. it, it I didn't really feel it, like Patricia said. Mm-hmm. I also have a problem to be without food whether I'm at home or I'm in a normal environment because I could go to the closest coffee place or open my fridge. But here, there are no opportunities for food. <laughs> and it takes away such a frustration and anger because you really cannot eat. There is nothing <laughs> in you. So for me, that helped. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really feel bothered about it because I couldn't do anything about it. If I had something in my whatever backpack, yeah, I, I would have been eating that. There would be a frustration. But mm-hmm. I, there was nothing like that because there was no food. Mm, yeah. You're very good it's at easy. accepting the unacceptable, though. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it easier. Number two for the big fears was actually a tie between fear of the dark and wild animals. So Stephanie said being terrified in the dark. That's her big fear. And then Layla said definitely fear of wild animals and the dark especially wild animals in the dark. So I'm, and, I, and also some, many people wanted to like uh, specifically say which animals they're afraid of. Uh, snakes seem to be the number one concern and then grizzlies and cougars. So the first thing I wanna say is like, there's no snakes where we are um, and there's also no grizzlies. Uh, so there are black bears, but they're not unpredictable. They're, they're much more docile than grizzlies. So let's, let's just set those aside. There are cougars though. So, um, actually I'll start with you, Carl Greger. The dark, I remember, was something that you were pretty concerned about. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And, uh, no, I, I didn't feel, it's like, I think for me, I had all these things I thought I was going to be afraid of, but they when I was there, that didn't happen. I was afraid of being cold. And 
and the freezing temperatures were my thing when I was up there at the mountain. But it's such a peaceful environment and it's such a calm and friendly. You just get caught up in nature in a way that when you are there, what you're afraid of dis disappears. And statistically, for you to run into bear and for having him to bother you is so slim. So it just will not happen. That's and, right. And that, that is what I thought about quite a number of times. It just don't happen. That's if right. It does, if it does, I had the equipment with me to do what I could, and I it never worried me. That's right. So everybody goes out, we provide bear spray, uh, and you are out there with a, a knife, for instance. But actually, that's absolutely true. The, the instances of interactions with bears in the wild that result in harm to humans is so very low. Humans are the main predator out there. And you know what I always say, if you die by bear, that's fate. And that's destiny. So you might as well just offer yourself up as some, you know, uh, amazing sacrifice. Um, though I would fight to the death. But um, yeah, uh, that that's absolutely true. It's, it's very rare that that's going to happen. Um, I'm curious, uh, again, Patricia, um, were you afraid of the dark or wild animals? Um, I, I mean, as you guys know, I was afraid of the dark, but it wasn't because of the wild animals. And uh, and like you say, when humans move in, the animals kind of move out. And and I tr went everywhere with the bear spray and the knife. And uh, but my fear of the dark had nothing to do with the wild animals out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in your experience, you manage the dark by pretty much going to sleep and like not seeing the dark. But then when you came back and we were in the lodge and you know you had to walk to and from your cabin, you actually undertook some rituals to help you face the dark. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did and sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, so you were afraid of the dark and you endured the dark. <laughs> you know, you didn't make it any worse on yourself, but you were able to cope with that fear while you were out in the wild on your solo am I right yes and I, I did yeah like, and you say like you say when we went back to the lodge I did undertake and I did promise myself that I would go out in mm -hmm. the dark mm -hmm. and when I did it after we came back from Quest uh, I realized that it was just it was what where my mind went it was what I made it out to be bigger than what it actually was mm -hmm. and the the nights where I did, I went out after quest at the lodge. I mean, I would actually stand there and stare at the sky in the dark and realize that, you know, it's really, it's really, there's just nothing to fear. It was really all in my head and how my train of thought went. Mm -hmm. Do you think you felt stronger because you got through those four days and that enabled you to face that fear when you got back to the lodge? Like, do you think you would have been able to do that otherwise? Were you able to do that before you went out? No. I mean, no, because I think one of the thoughts that came to me during the four days was if I can do this for four days, being out in nature solo, I can pretty much do anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I remember you saying, like, I remember in the four days in the beginning of the quest, you would turn in quite early. Like, mm -hmm. sun was going down, but you would go to bed before it got dark so that you wouldn't have to walk through the dark to your cabin. Whereas when you came back from your four days, you were totally walking out in the dark to go to your cabin. 
Yeah, that's right. It was like, like yep. a pretty instant transformation. It is. It is. Because, I mean, once you've done the four days and you fasted for four days and nights, I mean, I, for me anyways, any, anything else, you kind of look at it and goes, you know what, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Jen, can you say something about cougars? You, you're experienced with that. So what would you tell somebody who is afraid about wild animals like cougars? Well, okay. Um, so I would say that probably the best thing to do is like, if you're, if you're experiencing fear, the best thing to do is become a little bit more pragmatic about it and like learn how to behave around a wild animal. Um, because like Carmen was saying, they are predictable, although it seems unpredictable because you just don't know. Um, they will respond typically in a pretty predictable fashion. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I feel like I was really blessed up there. I found cougar tracks and I, I found bear tracks and quite close to where I was sleeping, but, um, you know, they, they knew I was there and that was all that they needed to know. Um, yeah, I would say that the best thing to do is become a little bit more pragmatic about it and to talk about it if you're afraid, like Carmen and Ruben both have a lot of knowledge and they share it so generously and they want you to feel safe they really really want you to feel safe um so you can just you can just ask them <laughs> and they will make sure you feel safe yes thank you yeah we you know on the day before everybody goes out we have a whole uh, session on physical logistics so uh, we went through knot tying um, basic first aid um, fire building um, hatchet and um, saw safety and uh, wild animal and predator safety. So we, you know, yeah, we definitely go through all of those things so that people know exactly what to do and how to behave. Should there be in an extremely rare instance, an encounter with uh, an animal, the, the most that happened was, um, yeah, seeing tracks. Um, Patricia got really close to a deer. That's pretty magical, things like that. Okay, so um, this already came up with you, Carl Greger. Uh, Crystal asks, will I be warm enough? And um, I'm curious, just psychologically almost, I mean, we all know that with enough gear, you're going to be warm enough, but you actually had gear problems and yeah. wound up at your site on solo without the gear you expected. How did you deal with that psychologically? Well, I at least had a sleeping bag down to five below Celsius, minus five. And, and with that, you can get pretty far. Maybe there will be times at night, even though you are fully clothed, and that you actually will freeze a bit. But, but it's not as bad as you think it will be. The main thing is to be dry. And I at least had a tarp that I could cover myself. So if it was raining, I wouldn't get wet. Mm -hmm. So I, I slept with the clothes that fully clothes fully clothes on, and about four or five in the morning, I took a layer off to have that to put on when I woke up, so I could feel good about myself, and mm -hmm. and that did it for me. And uh, well, at, at times I was a bit cold. Yes, I was, and the water was frozen when I woke up. But you know, the sleeping bag minus five that helps you. You you can pretty much sustain anything in that point. So. It was okay. One of those things when you have achieved it, you feel quite good about yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. Um, I know Patricia was quite vocal about hating the cold. Uh, and I totally agree. Like at home, I mean, on just like 10 months of the year, I have like seven blankets on me when I sleep. When I go on Quest, I'm like fully clothed with three pairs of pants. I wear like a couch and sweater. I have my sleeping bag. I have a wool blanket outside me. Like, you know, I, I totally don't like being cold either. Um, Patricia, how did you deal with that psychologically? I, I lay it up. I really did. And I listened to you when you say no cotton whatsoever. Yeah. So I had three layers of merino wool top. I had one windproof jacket and a down jacket. And then I had a fleece layer of pants, down pants, and my snow pants. Nice. And I prepared myself and I went with a scarf and a toque mm. and gloves. And honestly, when I was cold, I would walk around a little bit and then I would warm up. So That's so, right. So mentally, how I prepared with it, with it was I, I went really prepared with layers and I went... And I knew, like you, you say to us, if you're cold, walk around. And that's what I did. So mentally, that's how I prep for it. And I mean, coming from a tropical country, really, I really don't like the cold. But you know what? In the end, it wasn't too bad. And I started fires when, you know, I built a fire if I got cold. I would have a fire at 7 in the morning and about 5 p.m. every night. Just a small fire just to warm up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yes, all very smart. I definitely, I really was like, gosh, I hope they remembered the part that if they're, you know, cold at night, they need to move around before they get into their sleeping bags, because their sleeping bags just going to kind of reflect the heat that they have. It's not going to warm you up. Um, Ryan, did you have any troubles with the cold? How did you handle it? Um, I also had lots of layers and um, kept a fire going most of the time. There was 16 hours of daylight during the day, and I went to bed um, just before dark every night. And um, I mean, the, it was definitely cold, but uh, I felt really well prepared, and um, I'm grateful for that. Mm hmm. Good. Yeah, I feel like now is a good time to tell everybody since like you've all come back, you're all acting as though it really wasn't that big a deal. It was freaking snowing <laughs> three out of the four days that you were out there. It was totally extreme. It was absolutely record breaking in the last 17 years. It has never had precipitation at that time. And every morning at base camp, when I would like open up the tent and see snow, I was like, no, God, no. And then I'd go to do my morning prayers for you guys into the blessing circle. And I prayed for sun. That is what I did the whole time. So, okay. So number four, biggest fear. Uh, Stacy says, I would be afraid of getting lost or for some reason not being able to get back to base camp and no one knowing where to find me because you know, I wouldn't want to quest forever. So <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like anybody else have any concerns um, about getting lost or what you were going to do in that, in that situation? Ryan, did you, were you ever worried about that? Um, well, it takes a little bit to get oriented uh, with uh, the, your, your area and, what it takes back, uh, what it takes to get back to your stone pile, and just to figure out where uh, east and west is and stuff like that. But with the um, the mountains, they provided uh, excellent feature, and it would be really hard to get lost in that area. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, Jen, what did you find in terms of navigating and finding your stone pile and all that to, did you find that difficult in that terrain? No, it wasn't difficult at all. I mean, you know, I think, (laughs) I think, like you said, the snow really helped. You could just follow your own footprints. (laughs) Super convenient. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But no, like, I think even without the snow, it would have been fine. There was one creek and you could hear it. And, um, you know, the way that, yeah, the way that it was situated, getting lost, certainly getting disoriented is a real thing. Like, it's easy to get turned around. But it's also really easy to know um, whether you're going up or down. And that's sort of what the the mountains provided was you would know, you would know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Patricia, um, how did you find navigation? Um, It was difficult for the first two days because, I mean, I think, as you know, I went into dream state quite fast. But on day two, when I decided to go for a walk, I pulled out the compass and Mm -hmm. I I just know which direction my top was mm. and I would walk you know and then I would know which direction I was walking and then I would walk back and like you say you know you won't get lost because you know where the creek is just follow the creek and if you just hit even if you go down to base camp and you hit too far from where base camp is as long as you follow along the creek we'll always find you Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll always find me and Ruben down at, at base camp and we could direct you back to where you were. Um, Carl Gregor, what did you find in terms of the landscape? You know, base camp is in a valley between two mountains and a ridge and there's a creek that, that goes sort of between the mountains down to base camp and all the way back down to the lodge actually. Were you ever concerned about getting too turned around or not being able to, um, or like wandering off into the mountain range and getting lost? Yeah, and before I came up to the to base camp and saw the area, yeah, I was, uh, I had that thought in my head. I didn't want to get lost, and and uh, I had a fear of that. But when you are there, you realize that it's not possible to get lost. But it's a, it's such a clear valley, and we hear the creek, as Patricia and Jen said. So there is no way you can get lost. You can always go back to the lodge if mm-hmm. you don't see the base camp you will always be able to go back to the you know to warm nice place and <laughs> it will just not happen I, I had some problems to find my stone pile at one point but you know it's it's uh, one of those things and I did find this is not a big issue but to really get lost no you you cannot do that and I think you said from the beginning that was so true if you'd still get lost you have had a big serious problem something you know <laughs> That, that, yeah. Then there's something seriously wrong with you, and you should be out in a normal day. That's right. That's yes. right. Yeah, I had told people that that's specifically why I chose this location because the natural landscape provides such distinct features and the creek running all the way down like right down to base camp and all the way down to the lodge means that yeah you'd have to be a special kind of special to get lost in this particular uh, landscape though you know without knowing that without seeing um, the, the place first of course that's that's a very healthy valid concern to have and you know, using your compass is something we can help you with if you want. We provide everybody with um, maps of the area. And you've heard people mention the stone pile. That's a communication system. Everybody goes out and there's a buddy, whoever is the closest quester to you, or if it's not another quester, it would be me at base camp. Um, you have a meeting place 
partway between your two sleeping spots. And that becomes your stone pile and it's a communication um, uh, system to make sure that you check in once a day with your buddy. Um, and so, yeah, I was stone pile buddy with Jen and with Ryan. And there were times where I, uh, there was one time when I needed to find um, Carl Gregor and Patricia's stone pile. I had verbal directions pretty specific, like how many steps, how many paces, place a cairn if I have to turn anywhere. You know, we made cairns, Ryan and I, between the stone pile and the path um, so I could find them again. And so one morning on the last day when I did go out to just check on people um, and find their stone piles, I had to track through, you know, the dirt to see if I could find um, footsteps. And of course I did because it's such a you know relatively untouched area nobody else is walking around there there aren't a bunch of trails um and so you know a person does start to just read the landscape and that's a very empowering thing too and you start to recognize um what looks like a human imprint and what doesn't and that's another thing um, people could do is just um track their own footsteps back um now right in the middle of the pack of all the fears and concerns were a bunch of people with a bunch of different ways of describing various forms of like being bored and self-sabotage. So Cherie said, my fear would be being bored, missing my family, wondering what the hell am I doing this for? <laughs> and so um, I'm pretty sure Patricia was annoyed with me, um, at least at some point during the quest or was getting bored or wondering what the hell am I doing here? Um, Patricia, how did you handle um, those kinds of self-sabotaging thoughts while you were out there? I don't think I was annoyed at you. I was more annoyed that it was snowing. Or okay. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I quickly realized that I was there for a reason and there are things I can do and the rituals that you taught us. So I would pick one ritual to do a day mm -hmm. and then I would meditate and I also journaled. So mm. I brought my journal up and I journaled my thoughts. And um, day four was a long day because it snowed that day. So I found that day to be the most challenging in a sense because I couldn't walk around. It was snowing. I didn't want to get wet. Mm. And what I did was I, I, I did a lot of journaling. Mm. And I caught up on, on a lot of naps. Yes. Yes. That is an excellent coping mechanism. I enjoyed that one. Jen, um, what did you find when you started to get kind of cranky out there? How did you manage that? Probably all the things like I, you know, had temper tantrums and tried to sit nicely. Like, um, I, you know, I recall one experience where I came back and yelled at you because my boots were wet. You know, like I wasn't, um, <laughs> I think I did all the things. Yeah, the boredom is real. And like, I had lots of thoughts that were like, you know, I wish I had brought a book or something like this, but I don't know. I think Books are not like, allowed. I just want to have to interject. Books are not allowed. That's no go. <laughs> exactly. And it's a good thing that they're not allowed because they're really, they would be great at uh, distraction. Mm -hmm. um, I had lots of magical times too. Uh, but the, it's, I don't know, it's like, you kind of look at it like I'm a grown person and if I feel bored, then that's my own fault. Like, I used to have a friend who would say, uh, if you feel bored, it's because you're boring. <laughs> and yeah. Uh -huh. It was quite precise. Mm -hmm. 
there's lots uh, of stuff to do out there. Because I was being bored. Mm -hmm, totally. Yeah. There's lots there's of lot. stuff to yeah. do. There's lots. And there's a lot of different ways that, you know, people will try to distract themselves. Most of the seasons um, will not be snowing, for instance. So people won't have the opportunity to do, to have fires um, in, in summer quests because there'll be a fire ban. And I'm really happy about that because fire is the television of quest. It's just a distraction. It's something you feed to, to distract yourself unless you're in a survival situation, which all four of these questers were. So we very much encourage that. Now, getting a little more serious, a, a couple of people had serious concerns about um, having a trauma response out there. So, uh, Actually, both of these quotes are from people named Megan. So Megan says, as a trauma survivor who was neglected, including not being fed, I struggle with the idea of fasting. But also I think it would be a powerful thing to go through that and survive. And another Megan says, as a person with PTSD and anxiety, I wonder if the four-day solo fast would bring up some abandonment fears. So um, yeah, I'd like to ask Jen and Ryan about this. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, it's totally legitimate. Um, trauma is a thing that comes uh, whether you want it to or not. And um, I guess I would suggest, you know, if, if, if this is a question that you're asking yourself, then likely you've uh, done work around self-care and how to, how to um, manage that when on your own because it uh, sounds like likely you were. And so um, I wouldn't doubt the coping skills that you already have. I would also say that it's very real. Um, and if at any time you wanna go back, you can. Like there's no rules that say you have to be alone. Um, you, can, you can go closer, you can ask for help and all of those things are okay. It's not a punishment, it's a real gift that you give to yourself. Yeah, and when we um, began this quest, uh, we, you know, we start with a territorial acknowledgement with a local First Nations elder and Norman Retasket, wonderful man um, from the Shuswap Nation came and he kept saying again and again, you know, there's no shame if you guys come back in. <laughs> I don't think he thought you guys could do it. And he did call afterwards asking after your welfare. He said he was watching the, the weather every day and he said, what an amazing uh, group of humans that you managed to stay out there the whole time. But, you know, many of us um, have had trauma responses out there. And the thing that I personally do is I rely on ritual. I find ritual is a way for me to embody a kind of focus and a calmness. And um, it seems to precipitate some kind of reconnection with spirit that um, when I'm experiencing a trauma response, I feel very much <laughs> afraid that and disconnected and dissociated. And so, um, yeah, you, you would learn many, many rituals that you might um, consider undertaking if you were having that kind of response. Um, Ryan, what do you think? If a person had um, serious issues with shadow work or trauma, um, what would you say to them? I would say that... Uh... Embarking on this uh, quest opportunity is a chance to both heal and grow, and um, it's certainly not going to be easy, but the environment and the, the silence invites a, a certain type of potential that you really can't get anywhere else, and um, 
the qu the quest can't be worse than anything that's already happened to you. Mm, yeah. So while we're on this topic, uh, another like number seven for people's biggest fears was kind of in the category of existential dread. And so um, Lauren said, oh, you know, the basic fear of facing the abyss in the absence of all my creature comforts and city living distractions. <laughs> so I'm wondering, Ryan, what would you say to someone like Lauren who <laughs> just is fearing facing the internal abyss? Uh, I think she's, uh, uh, she's hit the nail on the head and um, it will be, uh, <laughs> it will be very uh, daunting. The, the isolation and the silence will be daunting, but how, how so powerful it, it is to to overcome that that void of outer overstimulation mm. because there's something that is going to awaken in her that um, that will, she'll find most pleasing. Mm. <laughs> right. Thank you. Spoken by somebody who certainly had that experience out there. Um, Patricia, what was it like for you facing the void out there with no distractions? Honestly, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually quite enjoyed it because it was it was it was quiet and I could hear my train of thoughts and um I could be in nature and enjoy, you know, the bird song and just the mountain, the the energy. Hmm. For me it wasn't never that was that was not one of my concerns and it was some actually something that I crave. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. Um, Carl Greger, were you ever uh, daunted or, you know, afraid of of staring into the abyss when you were out there alone? Before before I uh, left for the quest, yeah, most definitely. But I think it's hard for people to picture what happens because they, they think it will face the abyss in the, you know, surrounding their home or so, but this is a totally different experience. You you go into what we call a dream state. You, you the food affects you. The, uh, the nature affects you. You're whole, held by all this magic, and there are so many things up there that takes care of you. So I think that the abyss that you feel at home, it will definitely be there, and it's part of you that has to meet that. But it, on the other hand, it it will not be as bad as you think it will be because there are so many things up there that will actually hold you. So you you, you will manage. And like uh, Norma Ritaskett said, there is nothing like pride. If you really feel stressed or something really happens to you, you can always abort. There is mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. And you've done what you could and you met what you're supposed to. And that's a beauty. Mm -hmm. Don't hit yourself because of that. Mm -hmm. Then that was not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I, and I think I would also say, um, I would add uh, that, like you said, Carl Greger, there's quite a lot of magic there. And so if you're going to look into the abyss, you're probably not going to do it out in the wilderness because it is so teeming with life and, you know, opening to the other, opening to the natural world and being in dialogue with other natural beings. I mean, for God's sakes, the bird song alone and, you know, the, the, the butterflies and the, you know, the foliage and the, the vistas. I mean, I've never felt alone in the wilderness, certainly not the way I have at home or in a mall or in a movie theater or at a family dinner <laughs> at the holidays, you know? So, um, 
yeah, whatever sort of existential dread or abyss that, that I experience in my normal day-to-day life, for some reason, you know, reasons that I, I consider obvious now that I've done quests several times, but it just doesn't occur out there, certainly not in the same way. Um, relationship to self will certainly come up, but there, I, I feel nothing but belonging or welcome or being at home. Not that everything in nature wishes you well, but just that there's something very healing about remembering your primal animal self, remembering that actually you came from nature. You haven't come into nature right now. You've come from nature and you're returning. And so that very first skill of belonging in the natural world is a, such an important precursor to every other kind of healing you might hope to do. And, you know, whether it's you're scared of being hungry, you're scared of being cold, you're scared of being alone, you're scared of the dark. You know, my teacher, Sparrow, said, if you're going to really love the earth, you have to learn to love all her faces. And so part of it is, you know, being cold, being in the dark, um, needing to provide for yourself for shelter and, um, and companionship while you're out there. And so finding uh, pleasure in whittling a piece of wood or discovering a heart-shaped rock or <laughs> listening and observing birds you've never noticed before, all of that is a very healing and connecting experience. So kind of want to throw that out there for people. Now, number eight, there was a cluster of things about acting out or acting in. And Sharice put it really well. Her fear was um, being really bitchy and mean to other people around me, being mean to you as a facilitator, crying way too much, getting a bad headache, trying to run away, trying to sneak food in, all of these things, right? So just basically having like shadow tantrums and like the worst self um, show up uh, in public, I guess. So I'm going to throw to Jen, um, who, you know, I think, Jen, you were really honest about some of the struggles you were having, and some were really obvious, like having wet boots right away on the first day super sucked. So how did you, how did you deal with the <laughs> aggravation, agitation, and irritation uh, that was coming up for you on the mountain? Well, I mean, I, I think that I just had no other choice. I, you know, but it, it's... It's it's actually much more beautiful than that. It's much, it feels much more loving than that. that. That was the reality. So that was like the pragmatic part of me of myself. But to have the opportunity to take care of those needs without like throwing them to somebody else, you know, um, I had to, and I also loved it. <laughs> it was a real um, honor to take care of myself and to know that you know like whatever I think we all have parts of ourselves that are um like perhaps just more human than other parts of ourselves uh and that more human part can act out and um it sounds like Sharice knows that part of herself so um that is a wonderful place to start if you know these things and they're not surprising they're not going to throw you off you just have to you know either prepare um which I <laughs> I didn't with my boots uh, so I would recommend just waterproofing them before you go that would have solved a lot of things um, <laughs> but yeah just like small things might make you grumpy and uh, 
just deal with it. I don't know. I don't know. Not in an unkind way, but in a way that uh, you know that you're taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's how it felt for me. That's how it felt. Yeah, for sure. And then also, um, Patricia, uh, I think you had a concern um, about maybe being emotional and crying too much in the in the, sort of the four days pre-quest and four days post-quest. How was it for you to be like emotive in group? Yeah, that was one of my main concerns because, I mean, crying has never been my strong suit and it's been something that I've been working on in the last few years. And and I I think I, I promised myself that, well, one, everyone was so supportive. I mean, mm-hmm. and so there's never any judgment with from the group of any show of emotions. And I also promised myself that because I've, I've committed to doing this that I would feel all the emotions. I would be open to what comes up and I would allow myself to feel it. And if I felt anger or if I felt frustrate frustration at anybody, I know that it's from me, it's not from anybody else. And mm-hmm. I take responsibility for how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. obviously something that needs to be looked at if it was coming up. Right, right. Thank you. Um, I'm curious uh, for Carl Greger and for Ryan as well. Um, how was that for you? Uh, it may have been surprising how much uh, mirroring and sharing and <laughs> there was in the four days pre-solo and the four days post. Um, how did you manage any anxiety or uncertainty around um, being vulnerable, um, showing emotion. How did that go for you? There is a magic happening around the circle that you participate in. I mean, I didn't know any of my fellow questers. Uh, and uh, you form a group and uh, you are supported by a circle. And there's always someone there that can hold you, that will understand you. And uh, I felt really safe. Mm-hmm. That was never... Uh, that was never a problem because you are so supported. Everybody have their issues and uh, and uh, we helped and loved each other. And it was really, really obvious. And I think we will stick together for a very long time afterwards because it you form such a tight group and you are held by a circle and uh, it will not be a problem. All issues that you have, let them surface because that's the proper surrounding to let them surface in. Mm-hmm. Ryan, um, you know, community has been something that um, you haven't had in abundance back home. And I don't know if you expected to do so much sharing and connecting in circle. Um, What was that like for you as a person who is used to spending quite a bit of time alone? What was it like for you to kind of show up and then um, not be forced, but invited to participate in a group? Um, I would say that I was pleasantly surprised um, at the positive effects of the group work that we did, and um, I was I was hesitant, um, and I questioned its relevance um, beforehand. But all the exercises that we did and the sharing that um, and the communication that went on, it was. Um, it was mind blowing. Yeah, it was really mind blowing. Um, the effect of of the communication and the sharing that we uh, experienced. Um, 
I have uh, a new respect for communication. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Thank you. Um, Jen, I'm curious, you know, you, you've been on two retreats with me and now a quest and you know that I usually have a much more dictatorial style when I'm leading groups and this is pretty different. There's a very <laughs> specific process and space that, um, that I personally think is required for quest. I'm curious what your experience of the circling was. Oh, it was so great seemed like we always just knew exactly what to say at the right time and it felt really quickly that we all just kind of dropped into symbol or metaphor or whatever right like we just we knew what the other person was saying they were saying words that meant one thing but they meant another thing or they meant all the things and um yeah I like really adored uh, all the things that everybody shared with me um I appreciate that it was uh not um it was, yeah, not crafted, I guess. It was like not directed. Mm. So there was a lot more, I think, revelations for one of us. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Well said. Um, Patricia, you've also been on retreat with me before um, and, and now been on Quest. I'm curious um, with regard to the circling um, with the sessions and even the, the mirroring, um, what stood out for you in our sessions? I think the one thing that really stood out was the, the, I think Jen might have covered this. It's just the openness, the, mm -hmm. how we all just came together and we held space for each other. The, and you allow us time to process it, to talk about it with, um, with no constraint. I mean, and there was acceptance. I think it's just, yeah, it's amazing how we all just came together, we connected, and then, you know, we allow each other to speak our minds and express our emotions. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, for me, is that it's just having that space to do it, mm -hmm. to know that you are held, you are loved, and with no judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, personally, I believe that um, the people who come on Quest with you, you have some kind of connection with on a soul level. You have some work to do with them. Um, and uh, so it's the whole thing is set up so that there's plenty of space and time to do whatever work needs to emerge. So there's the we time, there's the me time, there's the meal times together, uh, where we kind of digest and process by sharing food together. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, uh, what I want to say is that these are four people who have varying ways of distancing themselves from people or holding themselves apart, or um, shielding their hearts a bit, you know, or being just kind of generally um, misanthropic, <laughs> like myself, you know, so, so um, this is not for touchy-feely woo-woo types that all came together who are like, I'm so excited about the sharing time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not what this was. Okay, number nine, in terms of uh, fears was, was kind of the cluster of things around logistical concerns. So uh, Leanne says, my prayer with outdoor adventures like this has always been 
please, please, please don't let me have my period while I'm doing this, which <laughs> I did and have a number of times on Quest. We'll talk about that. Um, Megan says, uh, concerns would be things like hygiene because I'm a contact lens wearer. Uh, and Sarah basically had a litany of questions. What can I pack? Sleeping bag, lighter paper for making a fire, tent, bear spray. How long is the trek? Do I filter water or pack it in? Like just, you know, type a planner type. So, um, uh, let's throw to you, Ryan. How, how did you feel in terms of the pre-quest portion about what, you know, did you feel equipped to make good decisions about uh, what you needed logistically? Um, yep, you uh, prepared us really well with lists and the meetings that we had beforehand. And um, I didn't feel at, at any time unprepared for at any moment. Um, I had everything I needed and uh, I wore contacts. Uh, I was able to take my contacts out when I wanted to, and um, it was yeah, all good. I was, at, I was at home on the that mountain. Awesome! That's yeah. great. That's awesome. I didn't even know you wear contacts and were able to handle that. That's great. That's something I can tell people. It's all fine. Patricia, you and I both entered our moon time. Um, I was at base camp in the valley, right beside the water. So easy for me. I use a diva cup. Uh, no problems there. Um, however, you were on the mountain, you were away from water. Would you share how you handled uh, your cycle while you were on solo? Uh, I actually brought that up to you about two months before Quest because I knew I was going to get my period during Quest, even though I did pray that I wouldn't get it. But <laughs> you, <laughs> you were, I have to say you were so great with sending the videos on how to set up a bad bag and how to prep for it using the duct tape and crush out aspirin and Ziploc bags. So I was well prepared for it. I mean, I watched the video a few times. I practiced the knot tying. And I knew my period was kind of, it was coming on day two. So on day one, after I set up my tab, uh, tub, I set up the bear bag. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so there is a there is a concern if there's bears around and you've got your moon time and you're not using a cup. If you you know if you are going to be putting tampons or pads or anything like that, um, keeping them in the garbage. What Patricia's talking about is you would crush some aspirin that that um, sort of uh, masks the scent, and then you would set up a bear bag. And there's a couple of different ways to do it. And actually, it turns out in this terrain, it, it's a little bit tricky because these are sort of lodgepole pines and they don't have really long. Um, uh, branches, but there's like, you know, there's, there's a few different ways to do it. And um, there's videos and links and all that kind of stuff that I send uh, to people. So did you feel that it um, distracted you from your spiritual work at all, Patricia? Not at all. I actually thought it was another way of cleansing. I think it oh, was beautiful. Great. It was great. Uh, another way of cleansing. And it was actually great to get it during Quest 2 because I really didn't have to do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. I napped. Yeah. It you was could just rest. Yes. And I yeah, and I rested. And for me personally, I'm also anemic. So I usually get really tired during my moon time. Mm. So it was great to get it during moon time. I rested, I slept. Um yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I and I've done all kinds of things. I've done like all kinds of ritual. I've like bled on rocks. I've like done all kinds of things because it's like, oh, I'm getting my period while I'm out in the wilderness. Like, 
you know, what can I do with this that I wouldn't normally do in my backyard or my garden? So, you know, you can look at that as an opportunity to do a different kind of ceremony or ritual while you're out there. Now, number 10, biggest concern, winding up very quickly here, um, not wanting to come back. So Sheila said, my fear would be that I wouldn't want to come back. And Tatiana says, this is kind of like a second piece to that. Because Sheila was talking about like the quiet and the silence, the solitude. It sounds so peaceful and perfect. Um, and Tatiana, kind of like part B to that says, upon returning, does one feel more or less connected to the space they live in, including their work their relationships, etc. So um, why don't we start with Carl Greger? Uh, how's it going on the return for you? <laughs> I felt so lost before I came. Mm -hmm. That was for me the challenge that I didn't find any peace in the job. I, I felt that nothing was worthwhile. It was just a spiritual practice. That was the only thing that made sense. Everything else was just such a waste of time and energy and i had really big problems with that mm. but to come back i feel much more of an acceptance to things the way they are you cannot be in paradise 24 7 in the mountains it doesn't work like that and i somehow realized it but going back i feel more acceptance yeah there are things i don't like still that i have to do but that's you know, fact of life. And it's like I left something up in the mountain that was, for me, very helpful for my journey. So I feel more relaxed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the way it is. I, uh, the return for me was much better because the coming there was the hard part. Okay. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Patricia, I'm wondering if you've had a different experience. <laughs> uh, I do miss the mountains i miss it and the return has been hard uh because i think i also live in a big city uh but like like you said that you do this you bring you bring it back for your people and and also like carl Gregor said, you cannot be in that environment i mean i guess some people can but most of us cannot we have to come back we have to live our life and if to, to want to be in that environment the whole time is, I think, is look best. For me, anyways, would be a form of escape mm. from mm -hmm. what real life is. Mm -hmm. I also just want to acknowledge that, Patricia, you grew up in Singapore. You'd never been camping before this. You didn't know how to start a fire before this. And you came back and you were it, like as, as though it was no biggie that you... <laughs> how to make fire and keep your you had a beautiful I've seen pictures of your tarp it was totally on point you know so how does it feel having crossed such a major threshold it feels that I've achieved something that I've left an old piece of myself that this was something new that I undertook and I mean, and for everybody out there, like Carmen and Ruben were great. Day one, they looked at me and they goes, we're going to teach you how to make fire. Because <laughs> you knew I had no experience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And honestly, for me, the logistic of just setting up the top wasn't even the main concern for me, mm. you know, to begin with. And it felt, it feels really good to know that 
coming from a big city, from a, being a city girl that I can do this, that I did it. Mm-hmm. And I, I survived the four days out there. Mm-hmm. And did more than that. that. That's beautiful. Thanks, Patricia. Jen, how's it going for you with the return? You actually live in a place that um, has quite a lot of natural beauty. You're used to that all the time. Um, but you know, that's still not the same as being in silence and solitude and spending four days doing beautiful rituals that you created, <laughs> ceremonies for yourself. How is your return? Do you feel more or less connected to your life? Um, both, probably. Like, um, I feel more connected to the parts that are uh, new and uh, emergent and important and less connected uh, to the parts that are no longer relevant. Um, and somehow some magical way that even the parts that I don't feel connected to that all that's filling it is just like gratitude and love I feel I feel all the things and I um like there's no way to give it words um I didn't know that this was possible (laughs) Yeah, so I feel both. I mm. feel both. Uh, and the disconnection doesn't feel like disconnection. It feels more like uh, irrelevance or uh, it's not a personal thing anymore. It's a really, mm. it's a really powerful feeling. That's wonderful. Now, um, so that was number 10, but I got to tell you, there were two other ones that only like one person said each one of these things. Uh, Sarah said injuring yourself, which is my greatest fear, is that one of you was gonna twist your ankle or something. Nobody else said it but Sarah. That's my biggest fear, which is why uh, Ruben and I really have gone to great pains to you know, choose a very good location. Um, also equip people, be quite sober and like fret, for your safety and like let you know but also make sure that people are really equipped before they go and spend uh, four days alone so i think injuring yourself is a very good concern to have and i wish it was much higher in the list i wish more people were concerned about it but one person said um something this is stacy she said being judged by others if they knew what you were doing and i think actually probably a lot more people have that fear and actually said it. So Jen, I'm curious, what would you say to Stacy about her fear of being judged by others if they knew that she was going on a quest? Um, I would tell Stacy that she has a few different options. <laughs> she can lie, or she can not <laughs> tell people, or she can tell them and be judged. And likely, it's going to be a different response for each person. Um, the world is kind of bullshit a lot of the times when it comes to your spiritual practice. Uh, uh, yeah, that was a kind way to say it. Uh, it's not receptive. And sometimes, um, you know, at best, I feel like a novelty. <laughs> at worst, I feel like I'm uh, not, I don't belong. So, yeah, you have a lot of options. And you don't have to tell people. You don't mm-hmm. have to tell them why. Uh, the world will tell you that you do need to explain yourself. Um, and I just don't buy it. So it's your choice. It's your choice. The world is going to respond. Um, and that's the world's choice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Patricia, how, 
would you reply to Stacy who's worried about being judged? I think um, in, in the same line as Jan is that you tell who you want to tell. And I was actually surprised a lot of my patients found out that I went on Quest, not because I told them, but my husband did. And we would come out of treatments and they would say to me, I cannot believe you're going to do this. Mm. And I was surprised how supportive they were. And they all wanted to hear my story when I came back. Mm. You know, they were all like, so tell me, how was it? How was the fasting? Um, you know, uh, and I would say almost everyone was very supportive and they were intrigued by it. And they all looked at me and said, oh, my God, I wish I can do it. Isn't that true? Yeah, a lot of the judgment is people's own self-doubt being projected onto someone else. Um, Ryan, how would you reply to Stacy, whose fear is about being judged by others um, who find out that she's gone on quest? Oh my goodness, I don't, are you, I don't even know how to answer <laughs> that. Um, well, I think that if she's concerned about being judged uh, for doing something so great, um, she should probably, uh, go and uh, experience this uh, great opportunity um, so that she can tell her friends uh, about it no matter what, because um, after she tells them about it, then they're gonna wanna do it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty exhilarating thing to be like, uh, oh yeah, well, I'm a badass who just, <laughs> you know, completed this amazing thing, so uh, suck it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I would say, Stacey. Um, Carl Greger, what would you reply? You know, did you have a fear of being judged? Yeah, most definitely, but you will always be judged. Whatever you do, you are always being judged by other people's eyes and by how they perceive you should be and uh, as long when you are true when you meet your true self and you are true to your own very nature that feeling is so much stronger it's nothing to be afraid of mm -hmm. you will mm -hmm. be true to yourself and and that feeling is is powerful and as Jen I think said you don't need to share your story with everybody that's not necessary keep it for yourself I mean if, if that is a concern but you are always being judged. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would like to end just putting it out to the group. So I will start with Patricia. What would you like witnessed about your quest? What would you like people to know about quest? Those people who might be considering it. I say do it. If, if you're just if you're even thinking about it, your soul is telling you something. Mm -hmm. Do it. And there's no two other people that better to do it with than Carmen and Ruben. Mm -hmm. You guys are so well prepared. I mean, you know how I feel about you guys, but you're well prepared, you're well organized. Um, I never feared for my life out there because I knew and I trusted you guys completely. Mm. Uh, and for people who are consider considering it, it will change your life. It will change the way you think about yourself because you would believe it will make you believe that anything is possible mm -hmm. to to spend the days out there mm -hmm. yeah thank you yeah it was a powerful transformation that i witnessed in you for sure patricia so thank you for uh trusting me and my husband ruben because um we take it very seriously and the only thing that makes all the stress worth it <laughs> is 
seeing you come in on the return. So thank you. Um, so I'm going to ask Jen, what would you like witnessed? What do you think people should know about Quest? Um, that you can go in and you can be really confused. It's okay to not know why you're there or what you're doing. Because um, not that it becomes clear in the way that you really want, but it becomes clear in a way that makes you feel like the next place is possible. Like, yeah, it, it, it genuinely shifted something. Patricia speaks my heart. Mm -hmm. and there are no better people to hold you if you don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> it's uh, powerful. And uh, yeah. Ryan, what would you like witnessed? What would you like people to know about Quest? Uh, I would just say that um, going on to Quest is, uh, it's worth the risk mm -hmm. that there's a, there's a payout um, for the risk that you take for the courage that you, you would have in order to make the decision to do something so so awesome. Hmm. Um, what was the payoff for you? How would you describe it if you could? <laughs> it was truly empowering to endure those four days and to make the connection, the connections that I did within myself. And I'm walking around with the with the benefits every day now, hmm. with the, with the, with a confidence that I. I, I don't know if I could have gained without it. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Carl Greger, what would you like witness? What would you like people to know about Quest? It will be life-changing. It's by far the best gift you could give to yourself. Mm. It is, and it will have a profound impact on you and your life moving forward. And I tell you, if more people did quests, we would live in a much different world. I mm. really believe that. And, and you just need to do it in an environment where you feel safe. And Carmen and Ruben will provide you with that. So if you have the opportunity, don't hesitate. As Patricia said, if you consider it, your soul is speaking to you. And then you should go. And you will never, ever regret it. Never, ever. I guarantee it. I agree a thousand percent. <laughs> Speaking from my own experiences doing Quest, it definitely changed my life, obviously, now that I'm leading them. And yeah, you speak my mind, Carl Greger. This is why I'm leading them, because I think if more people did Quests, our world um, would, if, if nothing else, have a different feel, you know? I, I would feel a greater sense of belonging if people had the sense of, oh, this is how you witness each other. This is how we should be with each other. This is what it takes to be a member of the natural world and respect it and each other. Um, this is how we find what our gifts are and remember ourselves together. And this is what witnessing each other does. It's a pretty powerful thing. So thanks everyone for, for trusting me with that. I'm just gonna unmute everybody and throw it out there. Is there more? Is there anything else? Do you think anything was missed? It's not as hard as you think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, or it's hard in a different way. <laughs> That's right. Day four. Pretty long day. Pretty long night that last night. Relentless. <laughs> the light is relentless. Yeah. Yeah. But not hard in the way you think. 
Yeah. Like these top tens, that's, that's not the hardest thing. Anybody want to share what actually ended up being the hardest thing for them? For me, anyways, the hardest was climbing the mountain. But mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a physical thing for me. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go as high up as Carl Greger and I did. <laughs> that's right. Don't have to go straight up the mountain. No, that's right. we really talk about next time we'll just go. Yeah, here, next but... time there will not be snow up to your thighs. No. So that'll be easier. Yes, it does. you don't have to make it hard, right? No, and we just decided to go straight up. That will be fun. That's right. Um, also, I would add that what for me anyways the reasons I thought about why I wanted to go to Quest turned out to not be the reasons hmm. at all so hmm. it came to me in, in the mountains that there was something else that I needed to look at mm -hmm. and it wasn't what I what I thought it was isn't that always the way right i've had that every time too it's like i don't realize why i'm out there until i'm out there i set this intention i think i'm so clear about what i'm trying to discover or find out and then i get out there and i'm like oh shit <laughs> this is what actually is coming up anyone else find that yeah yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. Okay, well, thanks, everyone. You are beasts and angels. You are forces of nature. You are elemental influences in my life now. And um, yeah, I've got the memories to prove it. You're amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Only love. Only love. Only love. Love you guys. <laughs> I'm so sweet. I am here with none other than Ruben Anderson, the co-producer, I would say, of The Wilderness Quests. Thanks for being back on the show, Ruben. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I think I'm a little rattled, actually, because you just called me co-producer, co which is uh, clearly ridiculous. Uh, I think I'm more like the concierge <laughs> of the wilderness quest <laughs> yeah you you do wash a lot of dishes yeah, i wash a lot of dishes but it's also i'm like the problem solver that's right and the i i deal with stuff that's getting in your way and getting in the questers way that's right you create the context in which the magic can happen and you also put on a really great um knot tying and uh fire building demo it's like I, the Ruben Anderson show. It was great. I, I could not wait to do the knot tying demo. I know. It was so evident that I didn't even try to uh -huh. lead that, that portion, and I quite enjoyed it. I think the other questers did, too. You were very entertaining and informative. So, Ruben. Uh, I, I, yeah. I trust, given the excellent feedback, that the knot tying demonstration will be moved up in the program. That people can practice more. That's right. Can I know more. you were concerned about that. And actually, you did suggest that there should be a test or that they needed to demonstrate That's right. um, competence. And I'm not going there. I think they That's should. That's not what this is. <laughs> they should have to demonstrate a knot and fire building ability before they're released in the field. This is not survival school. If, the, if people want to make it that, they can come to you right. for sure. Uh, Ruben, what would you like to have witnessed? What do you think people need to know about quest if they're considering one well I, so my my thing is sustainability mm -hmm. and so i've spent a lot of time uh learning about the environment and the economy and uh behavior and thinking about the future thinking about the future thinking about the future a great deal <laughs> um 
and some of my f- conclusions might be called uh, pessimistic. Or realistic. Or, or realistic. Depends I, on the crowd. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the crowd very much. <laughs> I, For me, um, the spiritual practice that I see you and the questers engaging in, I think is uh, is something more like what humans will have in the future so i i think a i think a lot about patterns of life and i wonder about the patterns of life that we can have now that will be useful for humans in a hundred or two hundred or three hundred years so not necessarily what our kids will need but what our great great grandkids will need what are the things that we can pass down to them uh i think gardening is a great one but i also think that um a nature-based spirituality or, or a spirituality conducted in the presence of nature is going to be critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it almost sounds like you're saying, um, you know, what some of our teachers have said about becoming an ancestor worth claiming, as Jenkinson would put it, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, something about embodied practice. Mm-hmm. you know that has a uh, that teaches us how to connect to place mm-hmm. how to you know thrive where we're planted or you know how to see a god in a dead fly or a spring coming from the mountain mm-hmm. um how to how to be engaged and open to the other and have a less um anthropocentric human-centered mm-hmm. uh spirituality and and one that's a little bit more um, integrated so that we, as Mary Oliver would say, remember our place in the family of things. Mm-hmm. 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 So rather than rambling on uh, with my esoteric thoughts on this, we can save that for the post-dinner quest conversation. That's right. And we should do a shout out right now. Yes, we should. And this time we are going to do, in honor of Carl Greger, who traveled all the way from Stockholm for mm. this quest, mm-hmm. let's say hello to all our listeners in Sweden. Hello, Sweden. Specifically, let's say hello to Anjeta, who was my first ever Stone Pile buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with me at the very beginning of my quest journey. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, very lovely. We'd love to, love to come see you again, Sweden. Absolutely. So, uh, the next quest dates in uh, 2017 are for late August, and the registration is going to close at the end of June. So, if people are interested, there's only eight spots maximum. So if you're interested in coming on Quest, if you want to have a conversation with me about it first, uh, just go to carmenspaniola.com and look on the Wilderness Quest page. You'll see that there's a way to contact me there. The next Quest in 2018 is in July. So we're going to do one a year now. That's right. Okay. That's about what we can handle. Did you mention like the cute little log cabins and all that? I didn't. Yeah, there's really cute little log cabins with your own little wood stove if you want a private cabin. Uh-huh. Pretty sweet. And it's this whole big log lodge. Yeah. It's an amazing... There's there's three border collies, plus we bring ours. There's cats, but we can keep the cats outside if you're allergic. There's... Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really phenomenal in the southern caribou, kind of just bordering the Chilcotin Range. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. So, again... Uh, August in 2017, July in 2018. If you'd like to learn more, just go to my website, carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>